Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. In just a handful of minutes, we are going to talk about boating and the boating life on the West Coast. And if you think that doesn't apply to you, you're wrong. We live surrounded by water. We have a very interesting guest to introduce to you in just a few minutes from right now. Love It or Listed Vancouver's Todd Talbot has been a guest on CKNW's Vancouver Real Estate Today Saturday mornings to share his thoughts about the silliness of what we know as the Vancouver real estate market. So this week I wanted to know, in this climate, if open houses were a good idea or if they were just a way for realtors to meet new clients. And it's true. And that's it? Yeah, no, I mean, I think an open house serves a lot of different purposes. You nailed it in your question. I think in different markets, they serve different purposes. So right now, we're in an, an extremely hot market. I would think that and suggest that an open house is an efficient way of getting a lot of people in right off the hop. Mm-hmm. Um, get you know, It's funny. I was talking to somebody yesterday on the phone about the fact that they went and saw this property that they were interested in, and they were calling me about it, and they were at the open house. Well, there's an amazing phenomenon that happens when you walk through a door and you've got 10 other couples in the house at the same time. Yeah. It creates a certain buzz, a certain energy. People are feeling like, oh my goodness, I got to get on this. So as the seller, if you can create that kind of atmosphere, right. to me, it's a win. I, I love the argument that people say, oh, well, an open house is for the agent. Who cares? I mean, if it serves your purpose in any way, shape or form, go for it. If they pick up a client that wants to buy a condo somewhere else or something like that. So be it. Yeah. How does that affect you negatively? I guess where maybe this came from in a time when things weren't as as hot and rapid as they are now. Right. You'd you'd have an agent sitting there at your house for two or four hours or however long the the open house was. Yep. And nobody would show up or you'd get one or two parties through and then they'd just be collecting names. But I like the idea of creating that buzz inside the home. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if if a real estate agent in a slow market wants to sit there for two hours and drink a cup of coffee, fill your boots as far as I'm yeah. concerned. I wouldn't do it. The other thing is, is that what we do is we let our clients choose. Some people have a very, very strong opinion that an open house is the way to sell your house. Mm-hmm. And that's the seller speaking. So I want an open house. All right, fine. Yeah. And there's other people who don't want it for privacy reasons, right. for all kinds of different things. And so, you know, oftentimes we'll just turn that question over. We'll talk about the pros and cons. If you want it, great, let's do it. If you don't, no worries. Is it something in today's market that you would, would you want to push in that direction? Uh, when I was coming up here, I, I knew you were going to ask me this question. And I was thinking, well, I like to relate it to myself. If you were selling my house, would I ask you to do one? And I think right now the answer is yes. Okay. I would like to push, whenever I rent out properties that I own, I schedule people like five minutes apart mm. so that they all essentially arrive at the same sure. time. There's a bit of crossover. It's a bit of crossover. And the other thing is you want to keep this, uh, this process efficient. So you don't want to kick people out of their house over and over and over again at dinner time and bring people through. The other thing is, is that, you know, my wife and I will be driving around. It's not like you'd think I'd seen enough houses, <laughs> but we will actually go and look at open houses. Yeah. And it's amazing what happens when you do that. It opens you up to a new area that you haven't heard about. Mm-hmm. Some people complain, well, oh, the neighbors will come in and look around. Sure. Oh, who cares? I do. First of all, <laughs> Well, well, <laughs> you've never invited me over, and I don't know what you got to hide, but I'm sure there's something there. Here's the thing about a neighbor coming through. 
is that those neighbors often talk to other people who want to live in their neighborhood. Right, that's true. Give them the information. Have them spreading the word out there. Yeah. Now, see, there's the other side of that, Todd, that I find fascinating, and I've watched that this happen in my neighborhood where they'll have realtor openings. Yeah. So you'll get, suddenly you'll get 10 or 15 or 30 realtors descending upon this one property, yep. and they all come in, whoosh, all at one time, yep. do the tour, and that probably is a good idea because you're exposing yourself to more potential buyers. It's a great idea because what ends up happening is that those agents who choose to do their due diligence and know the product that comes on the market, they can now, in an educated way, talk to their clients. When their client phones up, especially when people specialize in an area, let's say someone specializing in North Vancouver, if they've seen those properties and their client phones them up and says, oh, I love this house I just saw online, which is what happens all the time, then that agent can speak to that house and say, oh yeah, I was in there last Thursday. Let me tell you a little bit about it. If you still like it, let's set up an appointment to go and see it. So, I mean, it's a great tool. It's a great uh, networking um, situation. And, and basically, you know, agents are just educating themselves on the product that's out there. I'm told, and, I, and I'm going to throw this at you, and I didn't prepare you for this, but I'm told 85% of homes that are sold today are not are sold by the buying agent or an other agent. So not necessarily your, if you're the seller, your agent isn't necessarily the one to, to sell it. So in other words, they'll end up splitting it. 85% well, a, yeah. comes from the other side. It's a, it's a complicated, um, the terminology we, we use in the real estate industry sometimes is a little bit misleading. The buyer's agent is helping the buyer, but they're selling the house to their client. So it gets a little convoluted. Most of the time, You've got two agents who are working. One is representing the seller. One is representing the buyer. That's what happens most often. Mm -hmm. So you've got, and and for my money, that's the best situation. You want somebody fighting for you. Right. There's there's a few other ways that people go around uh, about it. There's dual agency, which is one agent essentially transacting the, um, uh, doing the sale for both parties. And then there's no agency where if you're buying the property, but you are not represented by anybody. So there's a few different formulas that we have in, in BC. Okay. We're going to wrap up this segment, but just to, as we do, open house, generally speaking, you would be in favor of it. In this market, yes. In a slow market, probably not. Todd Talbot from Love It or List It, Vancouver, which is on... Monday night. Monday right. night, 10 o'clock. Take on the day off. W Network. Yep, yep. We'll give you a little treat at the end of the day for getting through Monday. Yeah, and we could all use that. Todd Talbot from Love It or List in Vancouver, regular guest on CKNW's Vancouver Real Estate Today, Saturday mornings. I also spoke to Trina Scare of Need to Know Home Inspections about removing subjects from your offer and some of the things that she finds that can be real deal breakers when looking at a home. You know, it's actually quite surprising because it can be anything. To some people, it's the water problems and structure and roof, which would be what I would recommend as being, you know, something that, that a deal breaker would be. Um, but some people also just don't want to buy something because they have to redo a kitchen or a bathroom or the basement suite. So it's it's broad in what some of the deal breakers can be for people. How How difficult is it for you and for a home inspector to actually know what kind of water damage is in let's say for example a home of of your age say 1930s home how could you know the possible damage from water in a home like that how how can you assure the buyer that you know what there's there's the floors are going to be wet when it rains but there's not uh, significant damage how 
How do you ease concerns from buyers? Well, there's definitely things we look for. One is any water ingress, and that can be looked at by staining. So there's different types of stains we look at with different types of materials. Um, But with older homes, even homes 20 years old, drain tile can be an issue. Um, The waterproofing on the foundation can always be an issue. They don't actually put enough on when they build these homes. Mm -hmm. So it's giving my buyers the... Uh, here's what I know, here's what I, I'm aware that could happen. Um, but we look for signs of any possible ingress. And when we find those signs, I do further investigation. You know, we probe, we we smell, we try and find where there could be an issue. Is water the biggest issue? I'd say so. Yeah. We're, we live in a rainforest. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. We hear this in the news. People are going in, they, they want to buy a house, and they have to find at the last minute you got to remove all subjects if you want to get this house. So remove the subjects, remove the home inspection. What are you going to say to a potential buyer in that case? Uh, I say always get a home inspection. Find a way to get it. A lot of people, before they put the offer in, are bringing inspectors out on open houses, uh, getting the inspections done before the offer because you never know what you're going to find. Um, Mm. You know, I use this analogy with my clients. You don't buy a car and not get it inspected by a professional and you're spending 15, 40 grand. You're spending a million dollars in a house to not know whether you've got a serious structure issue or water infiltration or what's going to go wrong. And with so many people spending every last dollar of their savings on the down payment, Mm. there's no room for problems. Um, But the reality is they they need a home inspection before they put the offer in. Um, Mm. I spoke to the real estate board yesterday in Victoria and we had a conversation conversation about this topic and he's just saying people are finding any way they can to get a home inspection done. Mm -hmm. Um, We spoke about it being mandatory with Consumer Protection BC taking over. Would it be an option? And I don't know how far they can go with that. I invited Consumer Protection BC to be on the show this weekend. They did not have anybody available. So just I want to put that out there because they are the the governing body of your industry. Yes. Home inspectors. Yes. Yeah. I think one of the things to consider, though, especially when we hear these headlines about people removing subjects like home inspections, many of those homes are teardowns. So the inspection is completely moot. Yeah. What is the liability of a home inspector? We do have great uh, insurance and uh we do the best we can on inspection. If we miss something that was clear and evident on the day of the inspection, we're held liable for whatever that might be. Some people have the impression that home inspectors have no one to answer to. No, that's not true. We have our we have a government to answer to, and we have uh, our lawyers to answer to, and CAPEBC, which is our association. Okay. I want to give out your website, if you, if, if you may. That's NTK. So it's, the company is called Need to Know Home Inspections, with an S on the end. Uh, it's ntkhomeinspections.com. Trina Scare is our guest today. Uh, finally, in the last 20 seconds, just a couple of tips on how to find a good home inspector. Okay, call f- minimum of three companies, ask questions and get a feel for how comfortable you are with the inspector and how they are with your questions. If you're not comfortable, then you're probably not in good hands. Uh, cheaper is not always better. Uh, You're paying for experience and knowledge. Check for the reviews on a reputable site. And are they licensed? Check with Consumer Protection BC. Trina Scare of Need to Know Home Inspections, talking about subjects and some of the things that can be real deal breakers for people looking at homes. This is Vancouver Consumer. When we come back, we'll talk boats and everything you need to know about the boating life in British Columbia. That's next on News Talk 980 CKNW. Aaron Fell has 25 years in the boating industry in BC and is the founder, president, and CEO of Breakwater Marine. 
and the winner of the new Business of the Year when they opened back in 2009, which was awarded by the Surrey Board of Trade. Breakwater Marine currently sits on three acres of sales, service, and storage on 160th and Fraser in Surrey. Thanks for coming in today. Hey, thanks, Ian. Nice to see you again. It's been uh, it's been a little while since uh, we last chatted. Uh, you've been in the boating industry for, for a long time, and let's just set the scene. Because of 25 years in the business, and you saw the, the economic crash of the late 2000s, which pretty much destroyed your industry. Mm-hmm. Um where where did we where were we before that crash? How did you survive the crash, and and where are we now? And then we'll get into some specifics. Uh, the very interesting time for a lot of people in the boating industry and and any industry for that matter. Um, prior to two thousand eight, uh, a lot of people would just buy boats on on a whim. Uh, box store mentality was out there. Uh, banks were lending in with with very little criteria, uh, much like the housing market. And uh, towards the end of two thousand eight, after Lehman Brothers collapsed and the U.S. collapsed, uh, it had a, a really bad uh, 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 effect on the boating industry as a whole. Not mm-hmm. just for the actual retailers, but for the boat builders, the boat manufacturers, the banks, and everyone that was involved in it. Sure. What uh, what we knew going forward and, and founding our company back in two thousand nine was. Uh, people would still continue to buy boats. Uh, the, the world would move on. Mm-hmm. The economy would move on, hopefully, uh, which it has. Uh, but the type of consumer would be different. It wouldn't be uh, necessarily just uh, payment-driven. It wouldn't be an emotional-driven. It'd be more uh, a, a, a type of consumer that wanted to buy for a lifestyle change. Uh, so as we saw 2009 and 10 and 11 progress um, and consumer confidence came back, uh, boat buyers became uh, a smarter, uh, more educated. It, it really gave us a platform to put into play what we wanted to do, and that was to teach more than just sell. And uh, we changed the whole brands. We changed up the whole uh, uh, whole image of the uh, of what we wanted to offer, and uh, the core beliefs of our entire team had to change as well because the consumer was just different. And now we're sitting in in these beautiful weather days and early springs <laughs> and and great housing market and uh, a relatively strong economy. Uh, it has come back in spades. In the and the United States is starting to come back as well. But you know there are fifty uh, percent less uh, boat retailers in North America right now uh, than there were in 2008. Over wow. 50% of them closed. And uh, um, uh, literally, uh, the, the amount of boats that sold uh, was, was has dropped by a tremendous amount uh, in the United States, but in Canada, it certainly has come back. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the lifestyle aspect of boating. This is what intrigues me the most. I mean, we live in an area, I think it's safe to say you can pretty much boat 12 months of the year. Uh, but it it is a lifestyle choice that people make. And for somebody that's never been on the water, can you describe what they're missing? Oh boy, that's a that's a loaded question. Uh, we're very fortunate here. Uh, we're sheltered by Vancouver Island. We've got some of the best boating waters in the world. And uh, whether you're doing lake, uh, river, or ocean, or just a, a recreation or a weekend out or, or cruising. It's a very, very easy lifestyle to have here uh, in BC. The number one misconception that we find is that boating is hard, uh, it's complicated, and it's expensive. And and we've all kind of grown up with that adage that, mm-hmm. you know, boats are expensive and they're holes in the water you throw your money uh, into. Well, you know, 20 years ago, that may have been true. You know, if you owned a boat 20 years ago, uh, that boat was built uh, by hands uh, in a factory, uh, 
you had your Friday afternoon boats and then you had your Monday morning boats. And <laughs> if your seams and your seats came apart, you got your Friday afternoon boats. Right. Those days are long gone. Boats, you know, the engines are, are built primarily by car manufacturers or with the outboard industry, uh, huge engine manufacturers that have a, a really good sovereignty. Um, they have shelf lives of over a decade uh, uh, for, for without any major service required. Uh, whether you're in an aluminum boat or a fiberglass boat, the style of boat lasts a lot longer. So the cost of ownership has dropped dramatically, mm. as has the cost of, of, of fuel as far as uh, relatively uh, how, uh, how efficient they are. Uh, to give you an example, a 17 or an 18-foot boat, whether it be fiberglass or whether it be uh, aluminum, you know, it's going to cost you roughly uh, 50 to $150 to fill up, depending on the style of boat that sure. it is. That's a three-day boat, typically. Most manufacturers try to build a tank of fuel to last 12 running hours, which is normally about three days in the water. Okay. So the affordability aspect we look at is, you know, if you can afford $500 a year insurance for a 17, 18-foot boat, and you can afford $50 a day to be on the water, you've got a lot of area to experience. Your insurance is, is about, you know, five or $600 a year for $2 million liability and the wow. same, same coverage that ICBC would give you. So the affordability aspect, it, it's shocking to most people. The other shocking factor is the resale portion. We're selling boats right now from 2004 for more than they sold in 2004. Really? So, so the, the, the 2004 boats are still running. They're still operational. They're still in good condition for the most part. So the, the resale value comes down to how the consumer actually takes care of it, makes it a really easy, easy thing to operate, easy to own. And, you know, most people... The shock value comes in the fact that for 160 to 250 dollars a month, they're on the water. If you own a boat, how much, as an owner, how much maintenance do you have to do yourself? Uh, apart from taking it into into a place like yours to have uh, looked at, probably one of the number one questions we get asked, Ian, and and uh, it really comes down to how much you want to take care of it. Uh, in in the Pacific Northwest, we we've got. A, a less of a season than what you would think we would have. A lot of people, as you said earlier, like to boat year-round. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the first and, and, and most important thing to do is to winterize your boat uh, uh, to pre- prevent it from freezing if you have a boat that requires winterizing, whereas some, uh, some will, not, will not have that. As far as keeping your boat at home or in your garage or under a cover, it really comes down to, to, to two things. Number one, how clean you want to leave it. And number two, uh, this time of year, moisture control. Just making sure that the boat doesn't have any moisture in it because we get these uh, uh, cold mornings with a lot of dew and then sure. it heats up in the middle of the day. You've got your boat covered and it turns into, you know, that that tent trailer smell of 20 years yeah. ago. We so used to hang a, an electric 40-watt electric bulb in them. I imagine that's not the case anymore. Uh, probably not what you want to do in a, a boat, but you, you keep moisture control bags in a boat or a dry yeah. air or something along those lines. A little bit of preventative maintenance and a little bit of an investment just for moisture control will actually leave your boat in really good condition all year round. Let's break. We'll come back. Let's open up the phones. If you have a question about boating or boats in particular, uh, we have an expert in studio with us today, Aaron Fell from Breakwater Marine, our number 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're on your boat or in your car. Give us a call. Aaron Fell from Breakwater Marine next on Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. We are talking boating, British Columbia boating today on Vancouver Consumer. Our guest is Aaron Fell. He is the president and founder and CEO of Breakwater Marine. Uh, your business partner, Jimmy McCarty, is uh, busy today delivering boats. Yeah, he's been back at the store since 6 a.m. today. We have a 
whole bunch of boats going out today. A couple of things that I want to touch upon, and, and by the way, let me give out the phone number if you have a question about boats or boating in general. Uh, we do have a line open for you right now, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 mobile. Uh, things have changed in terms of a operator licenses and vessel licensing uh, in recent times, and I think mm-hmm. things have gotten better. Can you walk through that a little bit? Yeah, so so boaters are required to have a license. It's called a Pleasure Craft Operator's Card, and uh, you have to take the test online. You can go to boaterexam.ca or any of the multiple sites that are out there. And uh, it'll take you about three or four hours to do it. Uh, it's one of those uh, exams that is time-driven, so you have to study the question, go on to your next question. Uh, you get it, and you've, and you've got your license, and that's all there is required. Most dealerships, however, provide lessons and, and on-the-water sure. experiences, as, as do we. How often do you have to renew that? Uh, you, you, that boater the operator's, operators cards? Yeah. If you have one right now, it's going to be grandfathered. Oh. So you're, yeah, you're good. Uh, the, the actual um, vessel license is what has changed as of late. Uh, there's a number on the side of the boat, a pleasure craft license. And up until a few years ago, you would actually just mail in a purchase agreement uh, uh, to the federal government or take it down to Services Canada uh, quite a long time ago. That has now changed. If you, if you sell a boat privately right now, there's still a 12% tax, if, whether you buy it through a dealership or privately. But you need to go to the pleasure craft licensing website. Upload a photo of your of your of yourself. Upload an ID of the seller. Upload a photo of the boat and a purchase agreement, and digitally it will transfer that number. And that is something that is now getting enforced. If you go to a random boat launch on a long weekend, there is now enforcement sitting there asking, "Is this boat yours?" Because who, who's doing that? Like, who, who, uh, uh, it, it can be it can be anyone from parks. It can be civic, and it can be municipal as well. Is that right? And they're, what they're trying to do is ensure that the the number on the boat is validated. Uh, in the United States, that number on the boat is known as a title. Uh, in British Columbia and, and the rest of the, of the country, uh, it has been very loosely enforced, and now it's getting very tight, which is great because we, want, we all want to protect, uh, know whose boat it is, and, and uh, you ultimately want to be able to uh, find a stolen boat or ensure that the, that the title of ownership is accurate. And that's something that is, uh, we've noticed as of late is, is uh, probably the number one question we get at the store is people calling in saying, if I do sell my boat mm-hmm. privately, how do I transfer it? I just can't mail in a purchase agreement sure. anymore. Good morning, Mary. Hello. Hi. Hi. You're on the air. Oh, hi. Um, I just have a question. Uh, can you find it? We're thinking of purchasing a boat for our family, but wondering about financing. Can we finance an, a used boat, or is it just new boats that you can finance? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, probably the most shocking thing, Mary, that we find is that uh, you, for, for customers to understand, you can finance uh, uh, pretty much any age of boat now uh, from 1990s and on. Um, banks will finance boats over very long terms. They're open loans first. Uh, they can be paid out at any point in time. Uh, the interest rate is going to be based on your own personal credit. Uh, but if you find a boat that's five or 10 years old, uh, you can finance that boat for up to 15 years. And and it's not that you'd necessarily want to make your payments over that, that term or that, that amortization length, but you can base your payments on that. With uh, I'll give you an example. If you find a $25,000 boat that's five years old and you want to put down... through a conventional bank, whether it be RBC or TD or or Finance It or one of the other institutions, you can go typically up 10 to 12 years, have a payment somewhere in that $200 a month taxes in range, and the boat is the only collateral. It's a conditional contract on the boat, so it doesn't have anything else to do with any of your other assets in your life. You just pay it out early whenever you want, and uh, and there's no penalties for prepayment at all. So it's very easy to finance a boat. It's, it's, even people that have cash to buy today, 
are finding it more affordable to finance and keeping their cash in their own bank for cash flow. Mary, let me ask you a question. How many people in your family? Uh, five. And how old? What's the age range? Uh, well, I won't tell you my age, but um, my children are 13, 10, and 2. Okay. The reason, yeah. I, the reason I'm asking this, Mary, is because uh, just before we went on air, I was talking to Aaron about this, and the whole idea of getting your family together is becoming such an incredibly difficult thing to do now. And, and, and then when you do get together, I don't know if this happens in your home, but you get together and you're at the kitchen table and everybody's on their phone or on their iPad or, or on their, their game. And, and so it's difficult. And, and Aaron, you were telling me, and if you, if you could repeat yourself, about yep. what families are finding when they're getting on the water in, in a boat. So even my own family, I, I mean, I've got a 13-year-old daughter, 10-year-old son, and a, and, a, and a three-year-old son. Hi, Ashley, John, and Lucas, by the way. Um, with the 13 and the 10-year-old, uh, they're, they, they're on their iPads. My, my son, John, loves his Minecraft and things like that. But when they're, when they're on the boat, other than taking pictures of the scenery or looking for a whale or taking a picture of a waterfall or something, they digitally tune out and they're back into the family. That is what we're finding more and more. We just sold a boat the other day. The, the couple came in. They, are, they, are, they actually wrote a beautiful review for us online, which I was very flattered with. They bought a, 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 a boat for their boys. And uh, in all my years of doing this, I've never had a customer actually have me resell the boat to the 10 and the 14-year-old boy. Oh, really? Yeah, he actually sat them at my desk. <laughs> this is just three days ago and said, can you please tell my sons what they will enjoy about boating because the ultimate the decision if with the, if they want to buy a boat is is also theirs now it's a great thing to see because they're they're wonderful boys they're athletic but they they are now getting pulled in different directions of what to do in life sure these parents wanted to spend time with their boys and and now their whole lifestyle has changed and uh, they're going to pick up their boat this week. We're going to give them some on the water orientation and lessons and what's great is is it's not a challenge to keep your kids digitally tuned out and wanting to spend time with you. They, they, they voluntarily put away things. It teaches them responsibility. They, they you know, you can say, we're, we're going we're gonna to buy you a tube, but it's up to you guys to help us unload the boat, load the boat, help daddy put it in the water and, and help us clean it. It's that whole going back to responsibility, putting away the digital stuff, putting away the phones, getting back on the water, the healthy lifestyle and making memories while you're doing it. You come back at the end of the day and the kids at the next day at school, they're not talking about digital stuff. They're saying, guess what I did mm-hmm. over the course of the weekend? What I saw. Yeah, what I saw and yeah. what I experienced. And and that is invaluable. And that is the biggest thing that I'm seeing in today's generation. Versus, we're in such a digital age with such separation. Sure. Kids are growing up so fast. It, it's the number one thing that we think is, is important in our industry, is, 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 at least for our company, is to help keep families together. And that's probably the number one thing we look who's at. buying boats is it families or is it corporates or uh, what who's your typical customer uh, exactly mary what what she just said that that the person that was just on the phone that that is the type of atypical customer we're finding we we get a younger generation that wants to get out and and, and go boating we're getting the the uh, a lot of people the empty nesters that are uh, uh, you know using home equity to buy sure. boats and getting back out there as well and the more that people are learning uh the, the, especially with the record hot summer that we had last year and we're on pace to the same this year uh we're, we're finding just about everyone and anyone is getting in boats because the next door neighbor is coming home and saying I, this was much less than i thought it was going to be we've spent 500 dollars a year to do this uh, plus our insurance, plus plus for for fuel, and we are looking at very little resale value loss. It's so it, we're finding that the 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 variety of people that are buying boats right now is wider than we've ever seen. 
Talk a little bit about the types of boats that are available. Uh, what would be a good st- uh, for someone like Mary or a, a typical family, uh, perhaps maybe a, a, a two people, uh, adults, maybe with three kids. Uh, what's a typical starting boat? Uh, what would be the next advance up the up the boating ladder, as it were? Um, the most important thing for for Mary to do in in her situation is to to look at where, number one where they plan on going boating. Number two, how many people are going to be in the boat? And number three, what they can tow and and their storage abilities. When you mm-hmm. put those three things together, the style of boat will be dictated. That's the first thing to establish. Okay. Then establish the budget. We, you never want to buy too small because when everyone starts bringing their towels, their coolers, the you know the 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 extra uh, extra change of clothes, all of a sudden storage becomes an issue. So okay. we look at storage as a very very big criteria. Makes sense. Um, the the after storage is established, the lifestyle of the boat gets established. Our, uh, we find a lot of people say, well, I'm going to go in lakes, but I'm really afraid of the ocean. Well, you know, going up Indian Arm or going in, into to, to, to Belcarra and Anmore or put, putting it in Horseshoe Bay and going into Bowen Island, you don't need a 29-foot boat. Mm-hmm. People do it in 18 and 19-foot boats all day long. Right. Uh, then you look at the types of boating that they're going to be. Are they going to be fishing? Are they going to be water skiing? Are they going to be wakeboarding? Is it something that they want to take in the Fraser River for sturgeon fishing? And, and when you try to marry all those things and, and, and do your checks and balances, the style of boat will, will get dictated. Uh, we're finding right now that the pontoon boating industry is exploding. It's the fastest growing sec- section of, our, of the industry. Okay, describe the pontoon just so we, we clarify, get that picture in our mind. So a pontoon boat is is what you'd think it looked, it, you know, years ago it looked like a big playpen, but they don't anymore. Now they're sporty, <laughs> and and we're we're finding that that people that want to go out with large quantities of people, five or ten or fifteen people, okay. that they they come with a port. A lot of them come with a porta potty. Some of them come with bars. Is this like for a fireworks night? Oh, you, you great boat for fireworks night, but also for the lake or for you know exploring. And we find that that people that want to spend less money because they're they're aluminum, so they they. they they are less to build mm-hmm. than, than what a fiberglass boat would, would be, uh, are getting this style of boat because they can have multiple amounts of people on the boat, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, they're less maintenance because they're, they're, they're outboard driven primarily. Okay. Um, they hold a, a larger quantity of people, but then you can fish and the kids can, you know, there's inflatable slides that go on and the kids can go in the water. They, right. Because they have porta parties because a lot of them have sinks and a lot of them have water, uh, you can drink on them, cons- uh, 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 which, is, which is legal. And... You're not having to come back to shore every single time. So that is a huge part of our industry that's that's growing. And also surfing. Uh, you know, surfing behind boats, we, we've we've all grown up with the, the kneeboarding and the tubing and yeah. the wakeboarding. Well, now surfing is what you if, – if people out there are listening and they, they're seeing these boats that are going really, really slow and throwing a big wave and it looks like someone is 10 feet behind the boat, that's surfing. They're actually literally on a surfboard behind the boat with no bindings, strapped in, and the, the boat leans to the left or leans to the right, throws a very large wake, and the, the surfer, when they get themselves up, they pull themselves into that wake with a rope. Sweet. And the, the boat basically creates a, a, a never-ending wave pushing them forward. They throw, they toss the line into the back of the boat, and you know, fifteen miles an hour, fourteen miles an hour, whatever that person prefers for their surf wake, it's it's something that 
old guys like us, Ian, can do. Oh, it's come a- on now. <laughs> well, speaking of that, we got to take a break. <laughs> For an old guy, you got to go take a break. Uh, we'll take that break and come right back. <laughs> Want to talk to Aaron Fell? He's the, he's the head guy at Breakwater Marine. We're talking boating today on Vancouver Consumer. Our number is 604-280-9898, star 9898. And we will be back in a moment on News Talk 980 CKNW. Aaron Fell is in studio with us today. He's the founder, president, and CEO of Breakwater Marine, uh, 160th and Fraser Highway in Surrey. And uh, you've got uh, boats that are being delivered today, which is very nice. We also uh, we are inviting your um, phone calls. I want to give out your website, Aaron. It's uh, breakwater-marine.com. And your Facebook page, which is very popular. I looked at your Facebook page, and you got like nearly 8,000 people that follow you, which is really cool. Our phone number is 604-280-9898 or star 9898. Uh, good morning to you, Tony. Yeah, hi, good morning. Um, I just wanted to find out, my wife and I, uh, we have a bar ride. We bought it for all those reasons that you guys had mentioned on the radio, uh, bringing our family close together and so on. But one of the things is we have our operator's license, but, you know, we're still kind of green on the water. And uh, we're thinking we'd like to, you know, figure out where we can take some lessons to, to better equip ourselves actually on the water. I, I want um, I, before Aaron answers that, I just want to give you uh, a full props on that because uh, there's not enough people that are in mm-hmm. <laughs> that own boats. Uh, no offense to boaters, but uh, this is a good question because it's a really necessary question. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it's it's not only is it in your interest for your own safety, but the safety of others and the protection of your boat. Well, exactly that, right? And and I feel pretty strongly about that, but my wife is really strong about that. Aaron, what do you say? Uh, Tony, where do you do your most of your boating right now? Uh, we do it in the, in the local lakes, right? Harrison is one of our favorites, uh, Alouette, um, that kind of thing. And uh, when you refer to lessons, are you referring to what what is – is it a lack of confidence being out on the water, or is it something that you're wanting more of a – uh, 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 operators and maintenance, or, or are you just wanting to know where you can go for your boat? Or no, where to go boating? Yeah, it's more, you know, about uh, better understanding, you know, the way the boat handles and what we're to do in the water. Like, I, just just to make myself look a little dumb, we were we were in Vancouver coming through, uh, you know, down by Falls Creek, and, you know, people were waving at us and shouting at us, and we were waving back at them, not realizing that we were going faster than the five-mile sign. And we were causing a little bit of a wake, and they weren't yelling at us to say welcome. They were yelling at us to slow down and, we all, all the time, we thought they were waving us to say hi. Yeah, well, that's, you know? <laughs> and, and I, 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 props to you for, for, for actually saying that because it, it's, uh, you know, all of us have done it. We've all made mistakes in the water and uh, I sure. can tell you more embarrassing stories than we have time for. But uh, yeah, it, yeah. it's, it's um, there are places that uh, do lessons and uh, you can certainly call our store, uh, Tony, anytime. And I can refer you to, to people that do that, that are actually really mm-hmm. affordable, that are in that Harrison Lake area. Um, we we mm-hmm. do that with all of our customers anyway. We offer free on the water orientation and you can certainly uh, uh, call or stop by uh, anytime and uh, uh, we can refer you to, to, it's a very affordable thing. The people that do it out there, um, like there's a the gentleman named uh, Norm who owns Agonic Moving and uh, uh, who's a, uh, we've been working with for many, many years and uh, he's he's tremendous at what he does and, uh, and uh, offers uh, good lessons and, and, and ownership and, and uh, will we'll not only teach you what you need to know, but will also coach you on if something doesn't go right, what is the best course of action? Good to know. Stuff that you want to know. Great question. Thanks for your call, Tony. One of the things that I wanted to touch on before we have to, to back out, 
there's there's two things about storage essentially. Mm-hmm. One is that you can tow your own boat, and mm-hmm. the other is you can you can find moorage. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you decide on whether you're going apart from the financing of that or the mm-hmm. financial aspect of towing versus mooring? How do you go about deciding whether you're going to do one or the other? Well, towing really will be dictated by uh, where you can store your boat, number one. Number two, the type of vehicle that you have. Uh, So you want to know your vehicle's towing capacity. Um, And you also want to be ensure that the braking mechanisms that are on the trailer are are accurate. For example, um, uh, you're going to need a... a, 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 a a tandem axle trailer for a uh, you know a four thousand pound boat that would be twenty two ish twenty one foot mm-hmm. or so. You need brakes on both axles in 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 British Columbia. That's a really big uh, uh, criteria change for for boaters to understand. Back, I believe it was two thousand seven. Uh, um, uh, British Columbia roads, uh, you must uh, mandate a law that you must have brakes on every axle, and that's a it's a that is actually a, a big thing to bring up because. The rest of Canada and the rest of the United States require brakes on one axle. Okay. So the boats that are coming into this province require them on both axles. And unfortunately, it's not grandfathered. So the liability mm. falls on the new boater. It, so they have to make sure that you have uh, brakes on every single wheel, number one. Uh, when a boat gets up to around 24, 25 feet, that's where if people have a one ton or a half ton, some people will want to, to trailer them and, and, and tow them. Uh, but it's, it's at the 10,000 pound mark. 10,000 pounds and more is when you actually need to go through a course. If you're going to tow it, you need to go through okay. a course. It's an actual uh, judged course and, and, and uh, get a, a certificate that will allow you to tow that down the road. But we find that most people in the 24, 25-foot range, it's not so much the towability. It's that they want that different style. A 24, 25-foot boat, most manufacturers build an aft cabin. Uh, uh, style boat or a cruiser where the boat will have amenities like a galley or, sure. or, or, or a sleeping berth down or multiple sleeping berths down below. And the style of boat that that is, is when people want to go into the boat, open their door, turn their key and head out into the, uh, into the Gulf Islands or head out from Killers Cove and Harrison and go up the lake for, the, for an evening cruise versus the person that wants to do that but bring their boat home at the end of the day. So right. it really is that 24, 25 foot gamut that we find in our industry that dictates: Do I trailer? Do I more? Uh, but but you know more importantly, up to that point, the the trucks, the minivans, the SUVs. Look at your towing capacity. Number one. Number two. Look at the. Uh, make sure that the trailer has brakes on it. Sure. Uh, a very stringent brake laws now, which are now strictly enforced. And then you can just choose the boat from there. Before we get out of here, uh, just a couple of really quick questions, uh, and and they may require longer answers. If you're thinking about purchasing a boat privately, are there is there any advice that you would give, things to look for? Yes. Um, get a mechanical inspection done. There's a lot of things inside of a boat and inside the engine and the trailer, for that matter, that you cannot see. It's not a car. It's not something where you just turn it over and, and off you go. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of the problems that can occur in a private sale um, are not transparent. Everything from lean searches to to mechanical checks to potentially the history of the engine and um, and unlike a car they just don't have an odometer on them so it's important you sp- invest the money uh, for instance we charge five hundred dollars for mechanical inspection for your boat your motor your trailer on an inboard outboard we pull the drive we tell you what we found we give you a complete ind- independent mechanical inspection if that five hundred dollars um, 
turns out to to have saved you two or three thousand dollars or a, a boat sale or was it just an assurance that you're buying a boat it's the best investment that you've made sure. uh, it's when people don't know what they're buying whether it be a boat that may have again we talked about technology how it's changed over 20 years sure. Well, 1990 boats were built. Remember what your cell phone looked like in 1994? <laughs> well, think what your inside your boat was. It was plywood and there was a lot of different things. We don't build that way anymore. So exponentially, boats have gotten better. But if you're buying something past, uh, uh, you know, in, we, 2003, 2002 and older, uh, very, very important to get the most detailed and comprehensive check you can on the bigger boats. A marine surveyor obviously is highly advised. Last question, um, and perhaps I should have asked you this earlier, but it, it dawned on me. Most of the boats are manufactured uh, south of the border, so mm-hmm. how has the the dollar and the the you know the, the crazy rate differences affected your business? Boy, it was uh, what a wild ride. I mean, a couple of years ago, people were were flooding down to the United States and buying boats and bringing them back, uh, and then you know. A couple months ago, when it was a dollar forty-eight to buy a U.S. dollar, something crazy like that, yeah. uh, people stopped, and it became the other way. People were coming from the United States into Canada. Uh, today, we're finding a really nice blend between the two. But fortunately, for new boats, for the bulk, I can I can only speak of the of our manufacturers that sell to us, uh, uh, Larson and Godfrey Pontoons and such. They have subsidized the pricing to us. So um, the 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 U.S. manufacturers, which the bulk are, have discounted. Uh, the boats are given rates in terms to kind of alleviate the pressure of the dollar. So last year, when the dollar quickly spiked in the in the wrong direction, uh, there was a there wasn't a, a, a there was a lot of knee jerk reaction. Now it's kind of stabilized out, and we're finding that boats today are selling for you know after their rebates and after their we got to uh, go. Yeah, they're, they're they're selling for where they should be. There's no exorbitant price. We'll get you back, Aaron Fell is the founder, president, and CEO of Breakwater Marine on uh, Fraser Highway at around 160th in Surrey. Uh, coming up next, Shane Foxman with CKNW Weekend. Amila Bamji is our technical producer. My name is Ian Power. Have yourself a great weekend. And that's it for this weekend's Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW.